Welcome in to 2 for 1 Drafts. Austin Gale here, the host of 2 for 1 Drafts, a Rookies and Draft Prospects podcast. Today on the show, we're going to go over our best 2022 NFL Draft Prospects in every single conference. Also got interviews with Kansas State head coach Chris Kleiman, Troy linebacker Carlton Marshall, and TCU cornerback Noah Daniels. Let's get it. You're taking the reins to start the show today, Mike. You have an absolute treat of a story for the fellas. It's an all right story. Um, I'm a changed man after this weekend. Something <laughs> happens that has changed me forever. I, I can never get, there's no you going really back. You really think it's changed you forever? <laughs> I mean, there's no going back at this point. I am an adult male <laughs> who has pissed his pants. Now, the backstory on it, it wasn't, uh, I'll just, so I'm, we need I'm, the I'm, in, I'm in Chicago. Um, I was visiting my nephew and some friends there. And I'm golfing Saturday morning and golfing at Wilmette Country Club. I'm staying at my buddies, which is in Wrigleyville. To get out there, it was like a 15, 20 minute drive. It's not that far away. Uh, I just got on the highway. Um, and, and on the golf course, it was pretty hot, like mid 80s. So I'm like drinking a lot of water, had probably like six beers on the golf course. And we're driving back and we run into the worst traffic. And probably this, what should have been a 20 minute drive, takes damn near an hour to get back from there. And so about 45 minutes in, been sitting in this car with my buddy driving. I'm just like, dude, I got to, I got to piss. Like, I, I got to go. Like, it, it has been. I thought this was not going to be that far, so I didn't pee before we left. I've had a lot of water. I've drank a lot of fluids on this golf course. I am going to maybe pee my pants. And we get off the highway, and it's probably about five minutes off the highway to my buddy's place. And I'm like, dude, just like, can we stop at one of these restaurants or whatever? He's like, we're five minutes. Just, just wait. We get there, park, and, and I'm, I'm hurt. I'm, I run into my buddy's place. I have the key, and it's like a three-story walk-up. He is the top floor uh, of this place, so I got to go up three flights of stairs, and my hand is shaking trying to put the key in his front door to get into this building. And I, like, miss twice, and then I just start – it just starts coming out. I just started peeing, finally open up the door, get in, and instead of going trying to run up these three stairs as it's coming down my leg, I just go into his basement. I just run down to their, like, basement of this complex, and I just – Unloaded, peed my pants. What kind of pants were you wearing? I was wearing golf shorts, and so it wasn't oh, so it went the down worst. Leg. All down my leg. I was wearing oh. sandals. Sandals were just <laughs> c- coated. And here's the the kicker, though. I go back down there. I or I go out to my buddy's place. Tell him I just peed my pants. Take a shower. Walk back down with a bunch of paper towels and whatever to clean it up. And a woman from a different apartment or a different condo in their building starts walking down to the basement because that's where like the laundry is for the whole unit. Oh no! And she's like, "Oh, why is there like water? What what happened?" And I'm like, "Oh yeah, my dog peed." You had to say your dog peed. Yeah, I was oh alive my god! Said my dog peed. That's incredible. Even I, mean, I guess I probably would have done something myself similar. Peed. Yeah. I mean, what am I gonna tell her? Oh yeah, I just peed my pants. Sorry. <laughs> you want to step in it more? That's incredible. Yeah. That's incredible. How'd she yeah. respond to the dog pee? She was very understanding, as one should be, nice. about a dog peeing. Human peeing, I would not. What kind of? So the basement had to have like a concrete floor. Yeah, the basement was all concrete nice. and then like wooden steps. So I get it got, it just had a, a little bit on the carpet and is 
atrium, but whatever. Which I mean, it's kind of par for the course. You know, you're having yeah. a good weekend. Yeah, um, so that was going to get weekend. some pee on the carpet. Yeah, that is a fantastic story. I, I'm, I'm sorry we couldn't tell it yesterday or Monday because I had the other the cannabis Emerald Crossings. I got a lot of DMs about like, oh my gosh, I've been to I've been to Emerald Cross. Yeah, no, I've been to a bunch of like oh. weed shops in San Jose. San Jose was was loaded with them. Emerald Crossings was just one of a thousand gems. All right, some things off the rip here before we get into the 2022 NFL draft prospects and every power. I think we did Power Five conference. Oh, and group of five. And, we and, do, we and do. just a 10 of the group of five. 10 of the group of five. You love to see it. Some news here. Carson Wentz, Quint Nelson, both have the same injury. Oh, wow. Five to 12 weeks. Check that turf out there in India. That's, What's going on? That's got to be something. No, but I mean, I guess I mean, Carson Wentz had a previously, yeah, yeah, Carson Wentz had a previously broken foot and that like bone came loose. Quint yeah. Nelson, five to 12 week timeline. I've talked to our injury analyst about huh. why it's a five to 12 week timeline. And it's hard to explain. I don't. Maybe you can help. Your mom's a doctor. My dad's a doctor. Your dad's a doctor. I didn't even ask him about this one because I wasn't too. I don't know. It wasn't like I didn't really care that much. Five, I'm going to try and dumb this fine, down as best I can. Okay. Mario Pilato, injury analyst here at PFF, said this injury. The reason it's five to twelve weeks isn't necessarily that it could be like five, six, seven, eight. It's like it's not like it's more like hey, if it heals one this way, it's going to be like five to six weeks. If it heals this way, it's going to be like eleven to twelve. Oh. It all depends on like how it's going to heal and everybody's body apparently is different on how this bone heals or how this injury oh. heals. So that's why, and you can't tell from the MRI scans if your body's going to heal the five to six week way okay. or the 11 to 12 week way. And the reason I, I brought this up on the social media call this morning is because Quentin Nelson said five week timeline, I'm going to do everything I can to make it happen. I don't think it's honestly something you can really, really control. control yeah. Like your body has to like make it happen. I want to ask my dad about this, but Every time I ask him about injuries, it turns like an hour conversation. So this one, I'm Dude, not sure I care. you need to talk to your dad more anyway. <laughs> Give him a call, especially with two players, her, two, Wentz and Nelson. I'll ask him about it. Get him it. on. Get him on. It'll right. be a while. Next thing but here. But I, I do think that in that scenario, I don't, everyone's saying, oh, go get Nick Foles. One, Nick Foles is the last guy I trade for. He, you, if you want to just ruin Carson Wentz's chance of ever having a good season, go trade for Nick Foles. Sure, yeah. he will His be a mental will midget. Be, it'll be like you with pissed pants on the bathroom. Yeah, the that, it'll basement. be what it will be like. He'll be peeing down his leg. We'll be brothers in that sense. But <laughs> I, that's the last thing I'd do. I, I think you just got to ride it out. Yeah, like 100%. The, if you're going to bring in anyone, Philip Rivers is who I'd bring in. Yeah, and then that, we saw Philip Rivers yesterday. Sam Farmer, reporter of the LA Times, said – he was talking to Philip Rivers. He's down there coaching in Alabama, I believe. Yeah. His first year as a head coach at a high school in Alabama. Said he's not. He said he wouldn't make weight if he was going to go today. Like he's not mm -hmm. been like training for. It, but he said he wants to get back into it and potentially IR return late in the season. So I don't think he'd be ready anytime soon. But maybe if the Colts said, "Hey, if you can get back by week six, we're fucking in." You know, like mm -hmm. I don't know. Like there could be an opportunity there. But at the same time, too, though, I don't. It's five to twelve weeks. Good chance that it could. He could come back by like week one, week two. Who knows? I think you ride out Jacob Eason. Like I don't, I don't think yeah, it's smart to like start to trade assets or or mortgage anything. Um, like the Jimmy G stuff. Like, mm -hmm. would you trade for Jimmy G? I don't think I would. No, yeah. If I the Car either. and I said I tweeted this out. If the Carson Wentz injury was season ending, Marcus Mariota was the guy I like because I don't like Jimmy G's contract at all. Yeah. Like Marcus Mariota, I think you come in and honestly potentially even outperform what Wentz was capable of. We just start going run heavy with just a rushing threat at quarterback. Yeah, I think with that offensive line with Jonathan Taylor would give you a higher floor, at least offensively. Yeah. And you can hope you win games to the defense. But the Philip Rivers thing is interesting because, one, I mean, very similar sort of gamer traits to Brett Favre. And it kind of retires early. And I don't think anyone says, oh, I'd come back if they really – weren't getting that itch to try to come back. Yeah. So I mean, he's coaching high school football and has nine kids. I think everyone yeah. and their mother would come, want to come it's back like from a, that. Exactly. What did someone tweet? Like he finally was with his uh, 
had to stay home with his kids for once in his life and was like, yeah, I want to come back. I mean, it's just tough, man. I think going from that NFL lifestyle to a way more sedentary lifestyle, yeah. I think you have to be like physically competitively ready for it. There's just no, and obviously I'm speaking completely not with experience, but I, yeah. I can imagine that like Philip Rivers, 17 years in the NFL competing like every single day in training to go to like coaching high school football and yeah. watching kids like that's fucking rough. i don't know like what is he doing talking shit to the kids like yes he, he has to i mean he does have shit. enough to even start a little league yeah to probably talk shit to his own kids yeah it could be all-time qb for like uh you know each, each of the guys there uh some other stuff here what has been your favorite training camp highlight so far oof some good ones my, why, my f- why is it the trey lance throw yesterday that that's trey lance throw that was a good throw. It was cool. It was not. It was the angle of the camera and the sort of the uh, was it the fi- whatever. What am I trying to say? I have no idea. Just kind of the cinematography of it cinematography. all. Cinematography that made it better. But it was the Derwin James locking down Keenan Allen because for the longest time I've been of the opinion that Derwin James could just play outside cornerback and he'd be one of the best like top five outside cornerback in the NFL. That's if he just threw him out there, he'd be like Jalen Ramsey when Jalen Ramsey went from safety to whatever outside corner. Yeah. I think you could see a similar thing with Derwin James and for him to just be locking down Keenan Allen. That I'm that's all I needed to see. Two reps. All I needed to see. I'm all in on Derwin being just C B one. I'm gonna keep leaning into this a little bit. Any C D Lamb training clip, training camp been. highlight has been sick. He's been a monster yeah. for the Cowboys. I think the other one I saw Walker Little, first time I think he's been in pads since like week one, twenty nineteen, going against other human beings, has a little run blocking rap against Caleb on Chase. I got a little chippy at the back end of the whistle. Oh, I see this. Yeah, it no, wasn't. It the, wasn't like anything special, but I like to see him get a little chippy. You know, okay. I, I like to see Walker Little getting a little aggressive. You, you didn't like Tim Tebow's out route. That no, I didn't like Tim the... Tebow's out route. What's been the worst training camp <laughs> training camp clip you've seen so far? That's a great question. Oh, the worst one. I'm trying to. I feel like one on ones where like it's kind of a stalemate, but then whoever tweets it editorializes it as like this defensive player wins. It's like nah, that was yeah, it's like nothing. Those ones are my least favorite, but. You can't win them all. Yeah. All right. Shall we get into the top defensive prospects in every conference? We should. Defensive? No. Overall, I'm an idiot. Yeah. SEC. Let's start with the SEC. Start with the SEC. I'm going to read. Do we want to go one by one here? Let's read the top 10? Yeah. Five? I'll read the top five, and then we'll read the next five. Okay. Number one, Derek Singley Jr., cornerback LSU, obviously. DeMarvin Leal, defensive tackle, Texas A&M. He's going to be up there for a while. Evan Neal, offensive tackle for Alabama. Kyer Elam, cornerback, Florida. And then Kingsley Anagbear, the edge defender for South Carolina. Those are your top five 2022 draft prospects um, up there. So when I was going through the top 50, when I put that together, which came out a couple weeks ago, go check it out if you have not. I didn't realize that 20 of the guys from the SEC. (laughs) Really? And five, this top five, all those guys are in the top 10 on the draft board. SEC has some goddamn talent coming back. I I mean, everyone shits on the SEC. Oh, they're overrated every year. Oh, this team's nine and three. Why are they in the top 10? Well, it's because the, and if you go back through the NFL drafts and whatnot, like it's true. They have the most, like these teams have the most draftable talent. Like you have teams like, I don't know, uh, Texas A&M, who I don't think is first or going to be first or second in the SEC this season, who had five guys in the top 50. Like, like these are loaded teams in this conference, only going to get more so when Oklahoma and Texas join, obviously. But, yeah, SEC. And I think they even benefited a lot. A lot of these prospects will benefit from the fact that they played full season last year when not a lot of other teams did. They played a full season and only played – 
themselves. Like they only played against other good competition. So this is what is a loaded, loaded conference yet again. Stingley though, he's so good. I can't, so rumor is, or the sort of hype around LSU is he might play offense. And I've heard that too. God damn, I would love to see that. I, I have no clue how good he'll be. I just, it would be incredible. Like we haven't seen a guy go both ways in a minute. It's like kind of a dated thing. I'm trying to think of even the last guy who. So if he does play both off. ways, how many snaps do you Tony think he sees? for Michigan State played both ways. But maybe he, I'm not sure he played. Simultaneously. Any, yeah, any single game. Both he, played, he started at receiver, went to corner, or started at corner, went to receiver. Yeah. Right? But I think with Derek Stanley, like, even if he does play offense, there's no way he's playing like full time both ways. Yeah. That would be insane. That would be sick. But it, <laughs> But I just get him touches, dude. So let's see it. Let's see how it goes. But he's. He's so damn good. How close is Stingley to Elam for you? I don't think it's that close, but that's nothing against Elam. It's more of just Stingley's insane. Like Stingley, to, for him to fail with how just freakishly athletic he is and how much he's already done it at the college level, collegiate level, as freshman and sophomore, is, it, it would be wild to me. Like this isn't a, this isn't a D Milliner situation. I definitely this think the is, player to watch from that first five two is Kingsley and Nagbar, the the yes. defensive end for South Carolina, six foot four, two seventy, earned an eighty nine point two PFF pass rushing grade this past year, and has only played a little over five hundred pass rushing snaps in his career. Has never played more than four hundred mm -hmm. snaps in any single season. I think this upcoming year, obviously, all eyes are on Kayvon Thibodeau, the edge defender out of Oregon, who is some see as a number one overall pick. I think uh, Seth Galina, who gets into Cincinnati today, by the way. Oh, Seth Galina gets into Cincinnati today. today. He's staying nice. with me on an air mattress, which is going to be an absolute treat. Oh yeah. Um, but <clears throat> I do think that I think you got you're going to want to watch this kid. I think this is a good list for if you're planning your college football Saturdays by conference mm -hmm. turn on some South Carolina tape this year specifically on the defense side of the ball because I do think specifically late in the season he started to turn it on you know 89.2 PFF pass rushing grade this past year I think he's going to be a name to watch and what should be a very interesting edge class yeah you do it on right there you uh, maybe take off all right I, I, yeah. I came back Kings and Negbar he reminds me of kind of Peyton Turner from last year their tape was very similar in that you see the things you want to see from a prospect in terms of the frame the athleticism the way they like the willingness to play physical. Now, are they they look like the Bosas and how they rush the pass? Or are they that consistent? Not even close. Like there's a ways to go. A nigga bar obviously comes back to school. Turner obviously was a senior and goes to the draft. But like it's enough that you you can see where they can end up and it's very high level play. All right. Next five in the SEC. Safety Jordan Battle, Bama. Edge defender Adam Anderson, Georgia. Georgia's got talent on the defense side of the ball. This is going to be, I think, David Sofaro, former production assistant here on the 2 for Drafts podcast, now senior, no, manager, public relations manager here at PFF. Nice. He has a pick for Georgia to be the winner of the national championship this year. He ha he believes in JT Daniels. And Did that I he, pick them too? Did you? They asked me to pick teams, and I can't remember. You're a uh, travesty. Anyway, Adam Anderson of Georgia, the edge defender. No, I picked Oklahoma. But Georgia would be second. Yeah. That Georgia's, their defense side of the ball is out of this world. Um, Adam Anderson, Kobe Dean, who's ninth on this list. Did you get through the whole I time? didn't get through the okay, list yet. Keep going. Adam Anderson, Georgia Edge, Kenyon Green, tackle out, Texas A&M, Kobe Dean, Georgia, and then Traylon Burks, wide receiver, Arkansas. Not a lot of offensive players on this list. A lot of defensive talent this in the SEC. Um, 
where I'd like to start before you get into um, Nicobe Dean. All right, let's start with the two George guys, Adam Anderson, Nicobe Dean. Anderson, man, is another guy. You've highlighted him, too, as a breakout candidate. 92.4 pass rushing grade this past year, but such a small sample size. He's only played 337 snaps in his career. You know, Kingsley played mm -hmm. more than that last year. Yeah. So I do think Adam Anderson, the biggest thing for him is getting on the football field and doing it across a larger sample size. But, man, does he have the tools? Does he have the skills to be a legitimate difference maker? He had eight pressures against Cincinnati. Yes, it was against some, some bad tackle play, but still really turned it on that game, uh, a 92.4 pass rushing grade this past year mad goodness i do think that a larger sample size you see adam anderson play as he did last year i mean you're going to be talking about again another legit legit edge prospect we, we buried the lead there eight pressures against cincinnati on 12 pass rushing snaps oh wow uh, he was i didn't even every see, time he was only in for 12 pass rushing snaps and got eight pressures and just every time he's on the field like he gets a one-on-one -on -one, he won last year and now george's defense we've talked about a lot how they preach run defense Run first, run first. They have run Tuesdays or whatever where they just bloody Sundays right or bloody, something. Yeah, um, bloody Wednesdays. But that's why he doesn't see the field. Is he's not particularly interested in that aspect. Now the NFL level, that can play. College level, maybe not as much. So I think they're experimenting with him off the box. He is six five, two thirty. He is not quite your ideal edge body just yet. Now could he get there? I think so. And obviously, even on his tape, like he is bull rushing guys. That's never really was an issue for him as a pass rusher at the college level, but you're going to need to get a little bigger. The NFL will be 6'5". He has the wingspan. He has the frame to put on more. So we'll see where his body ends up. We'll see where his position ends up this fall, but the talent, undeniable there. Nicobe Dean, the linebacker, six foot 220, past year, 74.3 PFF grade. Where are you at with Nicobe Dean? He reminds me of a poor man's, not poor man's, he just reminds me of Devin Bush. He's a little bit smaller than Devin Bush at the moment, but that level of just explosiveness of sideline sideline ability where he can just flat out cover more ground than any linebacker maybe in college football. The guy can fly, and he is so aggressive with how he plays. Like you don't have to, you don't have to coach up the, oh, the taking on blocks aspect, the physical aspects of the game that some guys just don't have naturally. Dean, he plays. A violent brand of football for a linebacker, and he, he oh, started well, over the field at that size, yeah. and, and and obviously a defense that prioritized defending the run. Yeah. You have to have that mentality to be able to take on blocks. He he took Monty Rice's job last year as a sophomore. Monty Rice, senior, multiple year starter. He took us the every down roll, and Monty Rice then still won the third round. So he took a third round linebacker's job as a true sophomore. As a true sophomore, yeah. Kobe Dean, another name to watch, man. Let's get me excited. Um, let's jump to the Big Ten, unless you want to uh, touch on Traylon Burks for us. It was like one of the few offensive players in there, the only skill player outside of maybe Derek Stingley, obviously playing both sides of the ball. But is Burks going to be that big receiver you like, or is it going to be the big receiver you shy away from? I, I think that, big I'm receivers like, with you, think, you never know. Because I think he has the athleticism. He's 6'3, 230. He's huge, but he's also fast. Like he's probably, I would just estimate based off his tape a mid to low four fours guy like he can change angles from safeties from whatever but now he's only played in the slot he, he has been the big slot in arkansas's offense not obviously a super diverse uh and the route tree you'd like to see from a guy that size but I, I still think the physical tools are there to succeed uh when you are that bigger dude and you see it after the catch nine broken tackles last year on 50 catches 
I do think he's going to be a guy too that a lot of people flock to because the highlight reel is going to be stupid. Six foot three, two thirty-two. I mean, he's got contested catchability, eight of twelve last year, seven of seventeen mm-hmm. the previous year. I mean, when you're breaking tackles at that size too, I think there's going to be a lot of reasons to like. He's going to be a highlight reel type of player. While you're talking about, and he's producing with Felipe Franks too. That's the other thing. It's like True. you you didn't have you didn't have Mac Jones throwing you the ball. While we're talking about wide receivers, this was an undercovered story. I didn't even tweet about it. I guess I could have amplified the message but amari cooper told reporters he's down to 210 i think 215 okay he said he played last year at six foot one 225 damn and he was still like yeah. i mean that is rare what he was able to do at receiver at six foot one 225 that's like a running back yeah that's that's a it's like james starks that's like rocked up right there yeah. i was like whoa are we gonna comment on the fact that amari cooper played last year at fucking 225 that's crazy I mean, my goodness. I mean, Traylon Burks, like you said, 232, obviously a lot taller, but still, my God. All right, Big Ten. Some receiving talent in this one, man. Garrett Wilson, Ohio State. It's going to be PFS wide receiver one for the foreseeable future. But right after him, Tyler Lindbaum, the interior offensive lineman, center at Iowa. Then you have Chris Olave, wide receiver, other wide receiver at Ohio State. My guy, safety, Brandon Joseph, Northwestern at number four. This kid is a stud. This kid, I mean, I feel like obviously I always take too much away from the interviews and you hate me for it, but man. Listen to the interview. It was on uh, the previous podcast, um, the Monday episode. He is a man. He's he's going to be a dude this year. I'm really excited for Brandon. He was a dude Joseph. last year. He yeah. was a dude last year, and he was young. I think this year he's going to be a monster. And then, uh, the last of the five here, then we'll get to the next five. Aiden Hutchinson, edge defender, Michigan. Go blue. Yes, Joseph sadly didn't make the draft guy due to a internal a Mike Renner error. It was it said it said he was a freshman, true true freshman. Yeah, we had we had a, we had an error there. So we F that up, but he is safety three on the draft board uh, behind Battle of Alabama and, you know, our boy Kyle Hamilton, Notre Dame at number one. But, but all three of those guys, so I said there hasn't been a safety draft in the first round in the last two years. I would not be surprised if all three of those guys ended up in the first round. Really? I think all three of them have the NFL. That's a quote graphic so from, right there. Social's going to flock. From Hamilton, Hamilton's obviously like, you know, Isaiah Simmons light. You got Battle's kind of your all around size sort of like the versatile safety that everyone's also a super smart player from what i see and joseph is your single high rangy playmaker who's not like a super risk taker like an andre cisco he's just very very good and very athletic like the guy can fly on the back end so he's fourth on this list of the big 10 could even eh, i don't know if he pushed higher because this is a damn good like those guys at the top garrett wilson tyler lindabom chris Olave, studs but Joseph is going to be a player. The Wilson Lava conversation is interesting to me. The kind of the tiebreaker, like both are very good at what they do. Olave, I have no sort of questions about him. As Olave a, has better straight line speed yeah, than Wilson as an intermediate deep threat. I just think he's a, a tad limited. I think Wilson's better after the catch, a little better underneath, getting off the line, a little more of explosive yeah. sort of sudden player, uh, absolutely leaper. So. We'll Wilson, ha- Wilson has good. the dynamism, the explosiveness, the yeah. suddenness, and also like the, I, I hate to use like a Madden thing, but like the spectacular catch ability. Yeah. You don't, you he's know, a little he, higher. It's he's gonna, a little, little higher in there. But then for Chris Olave, consistent, good straight line speed. Like that, I mean, former track star, like both of these guys are studs. I think they're mm-hmm. complementary too is the thing. Like they both have complementary skill sets. Very, very interested to see how they work in Ohio State's offense this upcoming year with Quinn Ewers maybe getting some snaps. Who knows? No, it's going to be obviously CJ Stroud or whoever they want to put out there. Uh, for Brandon that would, Joseph. If, that would be wild, though, if Ewers wins the job. I, I do think There's that no whole conversation around him to, like reclassifying is interesting. I don't really 
uh, people are up in arms about like whatever. I don't really have a problem with it, but like, I don't know. Is he going to get that much NIL money just sitting on the bench for a year? Is that? I mean, no, but you could lock up contracts with future. Yeah. Here comes, here comes X company and they say, Hey, we're going to pay you X amount of money right now. (laughs) So that way, when you are starting, you're our guy. I mean, that's going to happen. Literally that could have happened last night. (laughs) That honestly could have happened last night. Um, for Brand Joseph, I wanted to add this, an 88.5 PFF coverage grade. And for those who don't know, he's also that guy who had that absurd pick. The one-handed pick. Yeah, the one-handed pick. Talked about that. He said it was easy money. He said, I knew I was one-on-one. I knew I was one-on-one on Wilson. I just had to make a play. I was like, fucking fair enough. And then the other thing, too, is his coach and him are big on him adding weight. He's six foot one, 192 listed. Yeah. But he, they want to get him over the 200 range, 205 and stuff like that. But yeah. if, he, if he does add that weight, 261, 205, rangy, I'm getting excited. I'm getting excited about the safety prospect, especially because we've had – a Darth, I'm gonna use that word. A Darth, Darth. Is, is that Darth? Darth, Darth, <laughs> a Darth of safety talent lately. Yeah. In terms of guys who could be like legit first round picks. I mean, one of our yeah. favorite guys when I drafted last year. Like we need, we need some safety talent. We need an injection of the Hamilton, Brandon Joseph, Jordan Battle, and I'm excited to see it. Uh, any other? Aiden Hutchinson, another one of your types, lunch pail types. It's my type supposed to be. <laughs> your type for edge. Your types for edge are those like bigger edges that okay. play like All the right. Peyton Turners, the um, Zach Allen's. That's uh, I can't call a Michigan guy my type, but thank you. Um, fair enough. He's so Aiden Hutchinson, George Karloftis, who's six on this list. Yeah, Purdue guy. Similar, inside outside versatile, long. Eh, actually, Karloftis isn't that long, but like bigger power defensive ends, who have that versatility, who will be. It, I don't want to say sure things in the run game, but you feel very good about them producing in the run game. I actually like Hutchinson more on the edge, and he's more of a 3-4 defensive end by type. He'll fit in those schemes. Whereas I think Karloftis can get bigger and just play on the interior. I think that's where he's at his best. I'm excited to see him this year because he was a little banged up last year, only plays three games. Obviously, COVID impacted. He had a monster freshman year. He played 843 snaps and had 55 pressures. Karloftis? George Karloftis, Purdue defensive end, as a true freshman. That's, those are numbers that you just don't see from true freshmen and so we're kind of getting two years now of development to see in 2021 because we kind of missed out on 2020 seeing that so to see what he looks like he could come back and be dominant because he's already physically manhandling dudes as an 18 year old i'll tell you right now jeff brom purdue head coach on this podcast there is not a player in the country that got more praise than him from Brom. Brom, and they yeah. recently recruited his brother, his younger brother. I think he's a true freshman there. And they, they see these Karloftis kids are absolute grinders. I imagine both Greek of them freaks. have tattoos of John Gruden on their back because like, he he didn't speak to his athleticism. He didn't speak to his his size. He spoke to he's the like, work ethic. No, he's a shit athlete. He sticks. Yeah, like, he, he, he's <laughs> just like this is exa- like he he says that classic coach speak when you land on a player like a Karloftis that just puts in the work. He's like he is here yeah. first, here he is he is here last, yeah. all that stuff. He's the so, Robbie Hummel of Purdue football. Honestly, I think Karloftis you couldn't get higher praise for, from from on Karloftis. So I do think uh, seeing this twenty twenty one campaign will be sick. And Aiden Hutchinson too. I think Aiden Hutchinson yeah. uh, an eighty eight point eight run defense grade this past year. Like you said, built to play that kind of three four defensive end role, six foot six, two seventy. Um, I know a guy you liked even in the twenty twenty class potentially if he did if did he did declare. Slam. Where would you have put him from around probably like a second round to last year oh really he broke his leg um 
And obviously that's why he's back this year. Only two games last year. Gotcha. Well, let's continue to move this train down. Jaquan Brisker, who we're working to get on this podcast, by the way, is number six or seven, seven. after George Karloftis, the Penn State safety. Then you have uh, Thayer Mumford, offensive tackle of Ohio State, Rasheed Walker, Penn State, and then Haskell Garrett, defensive tackle. Oh, sorry. Rasheed Walker, tackle of Penn State, and then Haskell Garrett, the older. This guy's old. How old is Haskell Garrett? Older defensive tackle Ohio State. I think it's like 24. Yeah. He might be he might be an older problem. I'm gonna look up his age. He might be a grad or he might be a sixth year or he's at least fifth year. Um but he's still it's another weak GT class. I think he's, he's only gonna, 23. Okay. He'll be 24 during the draft. So yeah. A little on the older side, but he was pretty dominant in his first year starter last year. Brisker is the interesting name to me. I'm a big fan of his. Uh again, I think it's gonna be a good safety class should these guys declare. Brisker will most definitely declare he's a fifth year. He kit spent two years at JUCO, has started started this past year, was a part-time player in 2019, but the dude is one of the most physical safeties in the country. And crazy stat, one missed tackle on 60 attempts last year for a safety out of this world. And when you fly that like is, a bat out of hell with the hits and you're yeah. only missing, you know, you're only missing one, that's absurd. He's, oof, my watch just What's your talking problem? to me. I don't even know how that one happened. Unfortunate. All right. Yeah, so over 400 snaps played, though, in each of the past two years for Penn State, an 82.0 PFF grade in 2019, 82.8 in 2020. And like you said, only one missed tackle this past year for Penn State. Here we go. We're out of the Big Ten, Big and we're on to Western Southern. Western Southern, people forget the sponsor here, helping the 2-1 Drafts podcast. In these uncertain times, life is full of questions. Like, when should I start thinking about life insurance? But however difficult these questions may be, Western Southern can help you answer them backed by over 130 years of experience together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind western southern financial group life insurance retirement and investments we are on to the big 12 gonna start with obviously number one spencer rattler quarterback oklahoma two edge fender nick benito oklahoma three noah daniels corner on this podcast by the way you can listen to an interview with noah daniels the top corner in the big 12 later in the show number four running back Brees hall iowa state five linebacker demarvion overshone texas yeah the oklahoma guys we don't need to talk too much about we've talked a ton about him daniels is the fun one only 353 career snaps so far high level athlete there's a video of him cleaning so hand cleaning know what that is where yeah. you're just flipping the bar so like there's that video of was Chris Worf's hand cleaning like 420 or 430 a couple times there's a video of him hand cleaning 390 he's a 195 pound cornerback lighter than that guy's explosive as hell for his size obviously he's been ravaged with injuries missed all 2019 uh with a shoulder I believe missed only played four games this past year 2020 then towards ACL so not not good from that perspective, but anytime he's been on the field, he's been excellent. Uh, I mean, 79.9 coverage grade in 2020 on 103 coverage snaps, only allowed six of 18 targets all season. Like he was shut down videos of him in practice that are pretty silky that got tweeted out a while ago that I would recommend watching. He's just, to me, he's probably the best non-SEC cornerback. Him and Ahmad Gardner are very neck and neck right at the moment for me. Yeah, so no Daniels. Biggest question mark with him is those injuries. And I talked to him in this interview about those. He said his knee will be 98%, according to doctors, in four weeks. And his body will be completely healed four weeks after that, 100% healthy. And I think he's added a nutritionist to his game 
to add some weight. They're trying to add some beef to his frame. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's also approaching the weight room and, and doing more supersetting and stuff like that to avoid these injuries. He's trying to get better here because okay? he knows. If he fucking stays healthy, he's going to be the best cornerback in the country. Man, a nutritionist to gain weight. That seems like that just... You got to get forced that. That's me overnight. Like, I I, I need nothing to gain weight. It's so easy. <laughs> but you got to gain the right weight. Oh, yeah. Oh, true. But he's getting I, these fire shakes in the morning that you aren't getting. You're eating terrible food in the morning. Trap. I don't know. I skip breakfast. I'm a breakfast skipper. Nice. Yeah. Uh, you want to talk Brees Hall, DeMarvion Overshone before we get to the next six? DeMarvion Overshone. So, Brees Hall is RB1 at the moment. We've talked a lot about him. He's just very good all around profile. I don't think he's anything. I wouldn't call him an elite athlete by any means, but he's more than good enough. He's a starter in the NFL. Overshone is the interesting one. Former safety, 6'4", 220. A unique, he's basically Kyle Hamilton's size, the Notre Dame safety, mm-hmm. but he plays linebacker. And last year was his first year starting at linebacker. ton of plays and coverage, but he also looked like a safety playing linebacker, like taking on blocks trying to you know stick his nose and stuff a running back in the hole he's the one going backwards it's just difficult to play so kind of an interesting it'll be interesting to see his growth curve and what he looks like in year two at the linebacker position where his body what his body even looks like uh in year two so he's kind of the unique case study there to keep an eye on for the longhorns I think Texas defense is going to be interesting because I also – Tavondre Sweat is another guy you really like, the big monster in the de- at nose. We're talking mm-hmm. him on this podcast in the near future. Watching his tape, <clears throat> watching his tape, that's another – that's one of those Tyler Shelvin types. This guy's just an absolute behemoth. He's added a ton of weight since high school, though. Like, you look at some of his high school photos. He's not he's not a monster. So, I, I am interested to see, like, how he's put on that much weight because he's, like, looking at, like, 330, 335 right now. I mean, just got to college. Dude, he added, it. like, a freshman 100. The chocolate milk fountain at the – at the, uh, is there a chocolate milk fountain at Texas? I don't know, but I no, like just at the dining hall. I used to house chocolate milk my freshman year, and I was like, oh wait, this is actually probably <laughs> awful for me. All right, I put next, down three glasses at, at like every meal. Next Pretty five, gross. next five in the the Big Twelve here. Um, cornerback Travius Hodges Tomlinson, I think nephew of Ladainian Tomlinson. He's a cornerback there at TCU. I was say if your name's Tomlinson, you got to go to TCU, yeah. even if you're not related. I, so, I agree. Right, no, you're rules. not wrong. You're not wrong. Uh, safety Trace Sterling, Oklahoma State. Quarterback Brock Purdy, Iowa State. Edge defender Isaiah Thomas, Oklahoma. The Clemson transfer, right? Did he transfer from Clemson? I don't think so. Damn it. Isaiah Thomas, Oklahoma. And then defensive tackle Tavondre Sweat, the guy I brought up earlier, up Texas, the monster. I still believe in Brock Purdy. I can't quit him. I, I still think he's still think there's something there for how well he played as a true freshman at Iowa State. And just for the fact that he's goddamn doing it at Iowa State. Like, they've had the best three years in program history. Now, obviously, some of that's Matt Campbell. Some of that, a lot of that, it's Matt Campbell. But I think some of it's also Brock Purdy. I think that there's something there that even though he's not a traitsy prospect, he does not have the arm that you're going to love. He, he's Mac Jones caliber arm talent. I, st- I still think the fact that he's doing it with not a lot of NFL talent around him. And the one year he did was his true freshman year was when he graded the highest with Dave Montgomery and Hakeem Butler. He's not had a lot of guys since. Um, I still am curious to see what his 2021 will look like if he takes that massive sort of jump forward. What's wild too, I, every time you bring up Brock Purdy, I can't get that one pick out of my head. Remember when he threw it like backwards? Oh, come on. That yeah. is the... That That's is like the, the flipped it completely across the field. That was one of the worst things I've ever seen. Under pressure, yeah. I think the most common 
tweet copy for that was Siri, show me the worst interception you've ever seen. It was rough. It was Aaron Brooks esque. It really was. It was it was tough. Um talk to me about more about Isaiah Thomas. Obviously, I'm an idiot. I thought he was a transfer from Clemson, but he's also you know former four star recruit there at Oklahoma. So yeah, so Oklahoma had this interesting trio last year uh, along the edge. Thomas was probably looked the part the most. Like he is six five, long physical dude he's just kind of stiff at that size and so benito much more flexible much more of a speed rusher thomas more of a power player off the edge still kind of i think he was the clear number three in that group last year moving on to the pack 12 um starting with number one edge defender Kayvon thibodeau oregon we've talked about him a ton cornerback trent mcduffie washington then you have offensive tackle jackson kirkland from washington Four, Keaton Slovis, USC quarterback. And then number four, five, another USC player, Drake London, who Clay Helton is calling the next coming of Mike Evans, who, mm-hmm. from a frame perspective, is Similar. close. Yeah. He's six foot five, two, 225. He's a monster. Um, I'm interested to see. He was Evans ran a four slot. five, though. I, I'd be floored if London runs four or five. Now, it's not saying can't improve, but he's just a little slower. And he plays some slot, I think, because of that. Uh, is where he plays in USC's offense. I think that's his role also at the NFL level, but I think he'd be pretty damn good in it because he has, just in terms of body control, I mean, he plays on the USC basketball team as well, or played. I'm not sure if he did this past year with COVID or whatever, but plays freshman on the USC basketball team. You see that you know, caliber of athleticism, that body control, that ability to make guys miss after the catch. He's truly one of the best after the catch in the entire draft class. But I just don't, necessarily see the speed which honestly is not that i don't think that massive of a deal with the rest of his skill set and what he can do so uh, i'm a fan of his he's a top five wide receiver in this class on the board right now but last year 14 broken tackles and only 33 catches it's insane it's an insane rate how about trent mcduffie i think we always talk about the sec quarterbacks mm-hmm. we also talk about ahmad garner we talk about noah daniels trent mcduffie's another guy though you have what in your top 20 right now oh yeah so i messed up saying that the Let's face no Daniels was the best cornerback outside the SC. No, it's, it's Trent McDuffie. That's on me. McDuffie is very, very good. 41 and a half inch vertical this spring. So now I think I've said this before. He's 5'11, listed at 5'11, which means maybe he's 5'9 and a half, 5'10. Like you, if you don't hit six foot, you're you're short as a cornerback. You are going to be undersized. If you're not listed at six foot in your college program, that's a problem. But when you have a 41 and a half inch vertical, that can make up for it a little bit. That, that, that helps you out. A very explosive dude. Some of the best hips in the class. One of the best tacklers in the country at the position. Only two missed tackles on 64 career tackle attempts. He is going to be a great, great, great zone corner in the NFL. He just doesn't have the same sort of man skill set that the Stingleys of the world, the Elams of the world probably have at this point. And then lastly from you, Keaton Slovis. What does he have to do for you to kind of, one, remove the bad taste in the mouth from last year? Because it was there was some ugly, ugly tape in 2020, but also improved to the point where he is like a legitimate first-round So player. you just got to play flawless football then. You, you can't have the, the turnover. Where, you can't have the 13 turnover where he plays in six games. You just can't be throwing the ball to the other team when you are a physically limited dude. It's not a runner, and he has mediocre arm, tell, mediocre arm strength. He's just like that is not his game, but he does do a lot of the little things well. He's probably the best pocket presence I've seen of any cornerback in this upcoming class manipulates him really well like he does a lot of the little things but man you you just can't 
then throw the ball to the other team as consistently as he did, throw the ball for grabs as consistently as he did. If you're going to convince people you can overcome, like I said, mediocre tools at the NFL level. I do think, you know, you go back to his 2019 season, the reason he graded so well and a lot of people held him in high regard is the accuracy. He was yeah. one of the most accurate quarterbacks we really saw in college football in 2019. Joe Burrow was the only one who was more accurate. And then 2020, you saw some of that fall off, and then you see the turnover of the plays pick up, and it's like, okay, this is what happens when a limited toolsy, you know, limited from a tools perspective quarterback doesn't do all the little things well. When yeah. it doesn't work out, then you start to see, you know, Keaton Silva slide down boards, and a lot of people kind of speculate, mm-hmm. can he be that first-round caliber player? All right, 6 through 10 here. You have Jermaine Lole of Arizona State. Then you have edge defender Zion Tupuola. <laughs> Fatui, yep. Washington Edge, Edge defender Drake Jackson, another USC prospect that people are high on. Um, then you have interior offensive lineman Donovan West, who is moving to center this year for Arizona State. And then offensive tackle Abraham Lucas, Washington State, a guy that probably will have the most true pass blocking snaps mm-hmm. of any tackle in this class. He has played a ton of football, and at Washington State, they pass the ball a fucking ton. Yeah. The interesting name here to me that sadly, I don't even know if we're going to see this fall, is... CTF, Zion Tupuola Fatui from Washington. So he was awesome last year. First year as a starter, junior year, four games, 91.8 pass rushing grade, dominant in every single one. 20 pressures in those four games. Was, is 6'3, 280, and plays very physical. The best bull rusher in the country last year, like bar none, in my opinion. But they tears his Achilles in April, I want to say. Or, uh, at a point in time where if he comes back this year, it's going to be midway through the year at least. So really screwed from that perspective. I I don't know if we even see him. And if he comes back for, so this is redshirt junior year. So he'd have to come back for his redshirt senior year then, which sucks because his tape was so much fun to watch last year. But yeah, I I don't see, I, I just don't see how he can come back from an Achilles, play well enough in four or five games, whatever he's going to get to get his draft stock into a point where he would want it to be. So that's the, that's the the sad one for me. But Jermaine Lole is the one who, he might end up as DT1 in this class, Arizona State defensive tackle. He is probably about six foot tall, but very athletic, plays with very good leverage. And, and, is, and yes, he's only 6'1", but he's 3'10". Like he is not small. He is enormous for a six foot tall human being. So those are the intriguing guys on that half of the list for my for me i do think jermaine lole too is a, is the the first step stuff that you see on his tape i think is very good i'm a big fan of lole mm-hmm. and arizona state watch a ton of arizona state prepping for herm edwards interview that we never aired herm edwards is a big fan of him too even though you guys wouldn't know that yeah yeah should we just tough. air it should we, we should just, just air it we should just air it even though i feel like it was it was it was a, it was a little dramatic i was, was like too dude, dramatic way what, too dramatic when when uh, whatever those allegations came out, I like read them. And I'm like, yeah, just air it. Whatever. It's yeah. not like next time. Oh, next one of these podcasts will air because we still have it. It's yeah. still sick. All right. Um, moving to the ACC, and you added Notre Dame to this list because they were in the ACC, but they're not going to ever be again. Hopefully, Kyle Hamilton, safety, Notre Dame, number one, obviously ahead of Sam Howell. Yes. Deal What's your it. problem? <laughs> Sam Howell, quarterback, UNC at two. Then you have the monster. Hashtag most fun to watch interior offensive lineman in college football right now, Ike Mikuanu of NC State. Then you have Andrew Booth, cornerback Cle- uh, Clemson, Justin Ross, wide receiver Clemson. Talked to Jakari Robertson last night. It's going head-to-head with, with Ross, trying to be the best receiver in the ACC. Ooh. We'll see how it goes. But that's your first five of the 2022 draft prospects in the ACC. Yes. It, it's, yes. 
Kyle Hamilton is, I was responding to Kyle Hamilton over Sam Howell still. Yes. Uh, Hamilton's that good. Now, could Howell with a big 2021, you know, like we've said, without the receiving talent that he's been blessed with there over the course of his career, could he, could he make his way higher? Of course. But I, I don't see Hamilton really falling off of what we've seen from him on tape because it's been that good through two years. I mean, as a true freshman, on 250 coverage snaps, he allowed seven of 23 targets, had four picks and five pass breakups. Then this past year, 31 targets, six more pass breakups and a pick. The ball production, so for his career, 54 targets, 11 pass breakups on those and five picks. That is insane ball production for a safety. And let alone one who's six foot four, 220, and can rush the passer at a high level, can take on blocks already. Like this guy's. He's your, he's your Derwin James, Jamal Adams mold safety that those guys, you know, Jamal Adams went sixth in the draft. I, I fully expect that's where Hamilton, will, that range is where Hamilton will end up. I also feel like with with top prospects like Hamilton, we rarely bring them up as fun to watch players, but man, you're, he's a guy that he makes a, he makes consistently makes splash plays both in coverage and against yeah. the run. Physical tackler. I do think, again, it, it comes back to this. It's been a while since we've seen some fucking legit safety play in college. Like seeing some like legit safety prospects like multiple guys like you said hamilton battle joseph all could be you know top 20 top 30 picks in 2022 and they've played like it they've you've seen some mm. of those splash plays i'm excited to see it man this is going to be sweet let's talk a little bit more about justin ross where are you at with him where is he in this receiving class and i guess you know because he's another one of those big body guys like what, yes. what's your take on Ross? I, I was never enthralled with him as a even before uh, so obviously he had fusion uh, neck fusion surgery before prior to last season it was congenital whatever in, in his neck he, he didn't have any injury it's just like they the doctors found it had to fuse it his career was in jeopardy uh will be coming back though this upcoming fall missed all of 2020 coming back this year thousand yards as a true freshman had that massive season but then the next year i think you started to see the fact that and Opposing defenses realize he just doesn't have that vertical threat. He is not a speedster. The plays he's making down the football field are pretty much all contested. So of his, it's a very high percentage of contested targets. Yeah, twenty-five contested targets back in twenty nineteen. Only caught eleven of them. He's six four, two hundred five. He's not like that's going to be his game. And again, so I, so London has. So we talked about Drake London, similarly sized wide receiver. London has the after the catch ability, and in my opinion, just better body control so ross i don't think has nearly that yak ability and still has the same speed concern so that's why i'd lean far more towards london than ross but i'd like to be proven wrong obviously this fall obviously those were early on tapes in his career to be basing this off of as a freshman sophomore yeah that freshman season a 91.4 pff grade caught six of 13 contested car targets over a thousand yards receiving in that season i do think that they contested tough tough Huh? Exactly a thousand yards. Exactly a thousand yards? Yeah. Oh wow, he did have exactly a thousand. I think yards. that was the highest yards per route of any season we've seen. Yeah, it was like a little over it four, was almost five. Yeah, yeah, insane. Uh, next five here on the ACC: Tyler Davis, defensive tackle, Clemson; Jarrett Patterson, interior offensive lineman, Notre Dame; Alex Lindstrom, younger brother of Chris Lindstrom, Boston College, another interior offensive lineman. Then you got safety returning to Miami, Bubba Bolden. Then running back, Zonovan Knight, running behind Akeem Ikwanu at NC State. Yes, the talent, the draft talent we saw in the SEC, or ACC, excuse me, last year, kind of fallen by the wayside, a touch. Not quite there. Uh, but 
like these guys are some of these might be day three guys at this point so that's not so bueno i think the interesting ones here are the interior offensive linemen patterson and lindstrom probably the two best pure centers in this class behind tyler lindebaum um plausible plausible day two picks on both fair all right group five group of five number one obviously Quarterback, Malik Willis, Liberty, two. Ahmad, Sauce Gardner, the corner at a U- uh, University of Cincinnati. Wide receiver, Romeo Doves, Nevada. Carson Strong, quarterback, Nevada. And then number five, edge defender, Majay Sanders. My guy, Majay Sanders, Cincinnati. A guy that, man, if he goes out and does what he's capable of from a tools perspective, like his tools, yeah. his length, his explosiveness, and is objectively the best edge defender in the group of five. I mean, we're talking about a first-round player. But he needs to show up. Like, you need to put it all together. When you're going against group of five competition, you need to have Chase Young final year at Ohio State-like seasons. Like, you need to have that level of dominance every single week. Because the question becomes, if you're not, why? If Majah Sanders, with all the tools he has, and everyone's going to talk about his speed and his length and all that stuff, why weren't you dominated at University of Cincinnati? The coaching there is fantastic. The, the, they have a fantastic secondary to give him time to get to the passer. The, yeah. to the passer. I do so. think that Maja Sanders, like the opportunity is there. It's for him to take it. Yeah. I I think he will still end up back end or early second round. Back end of the first, early second round. Because he has those tools. Like He has what the NFL is looking for. Gardner is the interesting one because... I think just the competition he's gone against has been so just meh throughout his career that, yeah, he can beat him up by being, you know, this bully that kind of just plays this overly physical game because he's super long, um, a unique corner in his own right at 6'2", 190. I'm curious to see that he's been posting these videos on Instagram of him lifting and whatnot. It looks bigger. But I would just be curious to see how much bigger he is this upcoming season because if he's got like 6'2", 205, I mean, that is a horse of a corner. And that'll be a lot of the man teams that you know use those bigger cornerbacks to play matchups will be in the market for his services. And I think the physicality stuff, the penalty stuff we talked about, Gardner, is coachable. Yeah. And I think the – I saw Matt Rule yesterday talking about J.C. Horn saying he's too grabby, he's too physical, he's got to calm down. Like that – like you need to address it. Like you can you can go to the you can go into the NFL and be grabby and be physical as long as someone's coaching you up to get better there. Like you can be put in a better position. And Horn obviously has the athleticism and the tools to like once he is less grabby to stick with guys. I think Gardner obviously needs a big combine to show that he can do that as well. All right, last six here in the group of five, and then we'll jump to the interviews at the back end of the show here. Remember, interviews with Kansas State head coach Chris Kleiman. We talk a little Deuce Vaughn, Tyler Thompson. We've got Troy linebacker Carlton Marshall, guy going after the Nagurski Award this year. Then TCU cornerback Noah Daniels talking through his injury history and what he's got planned for 2021. He also, Quentin Johnson, this TCU wide receiver, he's like, oh, buddy, you're not ready for this kid. Ooh. He's a big breakout candidate, according to Anthony Tresh. Uh, I think he's going to be a true sophomore. Maybe. I think, I think, I think. But, yeah. oh, man, he's going to be sick. Uh, last six here. Isaiah Likely. Tight end at Coastal Carolina, Alami Fajoko, defensive end, San Jose State, back into San Jose State. Remember Boogie? Boogie from San Jose State? We had a high break. Boogie Roberts, defensive tackle? You liked Boogie. You're telling me you didn't like Boogie Roberts? At, you don't remember San Jose State? Boogie Roberts. Who's Boogie Roberts? Never mind, never mind. All right. Uh, Dylan Parham, off the tackle, Memphis, running back Tyler Algier, BYU, and then Jalen Tolbert, Tolbert. Wide receivers, South Alabama, probably not told bear. But uh, start with Isaiah Likely. I like this guy. I know. I do, too. <laughs> I, I just want to know how much he weighs. Like, he he's out there for Coastal Carolina on the tight end. 
running routes like a wide receiver. And yeah, he's obviously bigger than their wide receivers, but he, you wouldn't pick him out right away and be like, okay, yeah, that's a tight end. You might just think, I mean, he doesn't look that much bigger than say a Traylon Burks, the Arkansas receiver, wide receiver who we just talked about was six, three, two thirty. Um, 6'3", 230, that's not going to fly at tight end. Now, he's listed at 6'4", 240, but we've been fooled before by you know, college, whatever, ADs pumping up their dudes. So I, I do I think that's the biggest thing with him is just to keep getting stronger because right now he's tight end in name only. He'd get laughed at if he lined up in line in the NFL right now. But the receiving ability is there. The after-the-catch ability is there. Reminds me a lot of a... Hunter Bryant coming out of Washington, where it's just, can he continue to get bigger and still be athletic? Hunter Bryant could not. Likely. Likely could? Likely. We'll see. That's going to be an uh, overplayed thing there. Um, the other guy I like from this list is Algier. I know running backs don't matter, but he's a fun he's a fun player. He runs like, he reminds me a little bit of Jamal Williams from BYU. Jamal, like, he just runs like a monster. I think he yeah. runs like a freaking bowling ball. And I think that obviously... I'm not predicting Algier is like a top 50, top 75 player, but still you chase these running backs that just run hard, run tough. I think he's a, he's a, he's going to be hashtag fun to watch for BYU this year. Oh shit. What was my comp for him? The draft guide. I wish I could remember. Cause I, th- I feel I like have I the draft guide it. pulled up. I always do. It's get always that, back get that comp, get the comp that I had for him in the draft guide pulled up. Cause I feel like I liked it because he is a, he's like two thirty. Jordan Howard. Enormous dude. Yes. Okay. And just one cut and gets upfield, and he's not going to thumping. He's dude. not going to ever try to make you miss. He is not going to <laughs> ever try to like put a give you a shake, spin and shake, whatever. He is going to just know that at full speed, you're going to either have to hit him dead square up, or you're going to bounce off him because that's how just loaded his legs are. So yeah, Jordan Howard comp, I think is apt. The one guy, one last guy, I want to touch on, Viliami Fuhoko, defensive end, San Jose State. Get to know the name. 87.0 overall grade last season. One of the most physical defensive ends in college football. That was as a, uh, I believe, a redshirt sophomore last year. So he's going to be a redshirt junior. There are plays of him on tape where he is just throwing guys around. And, and I think he has the traits, too, to like sneak into the early round conversation. He's not just a high effort guy, but the effort and the sort of way he plays the game is off the charts. So big fan of his. Remember the name, Villian Foco out of San Jose State. Hell yeah. All right, that's going to do it. We went through some names, man. That's fun. Should we get you prepped for college football season when you're turning on the games, man? I'm excited. Uh, now let's jump to interviews with Kansas State head coach Chris Kleiman, Troy linebacker Carlton Marshall, and TCU corner Noah Daniels. Support for PFF is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming champions of the world. I've been using it for a while now, Mike, and... Honestly, I don't think I've had a better life since getting Manscaped. The shave down low. Did you say you don't think you've had a better life? Oh, okay. I don't think gotcha. I have. I, I think I this it. is a new per. I'm a yeah. new person. I'm a new human being. I shower differently. I sleep differently. I party differently because will, of Manscaped. I will say if you're an adult male in the summertime and you haven't at least trimmed your pubes, you're disgusting. That's and, and you're, what like, better the tool smell, to trim? The sweat. It's you're you're a psychopath and what better tool not the lawnmower 1.0 2.0 3.0 manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels just launched their fourth generation trimmer the lawnmower 4.0 
Join over 2 million men worldwide who just who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer to you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. Manscaped engineered the ultimate groin and body trimmer by focusing on intelligent functionality and an incredibly comfortable grooming experience. Their fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. I now feel confident shaving my boys. Did I mention wireless charging? Did I? New wireless charging system uses electromagnetic induction, which can help battery length last longer. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And use code PFF. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for your family jewels with Manscaped. Now joining the 2 for 1 Drafts podcast is current Kansas State head coach Chris Kleiman. Chris, great to have you on the show. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me today. You know, where I'd really like to start is honestly the quarterback position. You know, we at PFF this past year graded Skylar Thompson really well on a limited snap count, of course, but he has improved from a PFF grading perspective every year of his career there at Kansas State, graded super well in PFF system. Top 15 figures in clean pocket passing grade, also accuracy on downfield throws. But what I'm interested to hear from you is what do you feel is this kind of next step for Skylar Thompson? How does he take his game forward in 2021? Well, he's healthy for starters, and we lost him early in the season last year in, in game three and uh, playing at a high level, did some really good things against OU and was having a good game against Texas Tech when he got hurt. Um, but I think that year off and having him still be a part of the game plans, having him help Coach Messingham and Coach Klein with some um, some passing game stuff and having him still be in the meeting rooms and, and having a full year where he wasn't going to play but was still able to process everything. And where he's improved so much is identification of things on defense, whether it's coverages, whether it's disguises, pressures, whatever it may be. Um, we feel like we're going to even be able to add more to his plate this year as far as making adjustments and changes at the line of scrimmage. But uh, we're excited about Tim. He's, he's a grown man playing quarterback in, uh, in the Big 12 for us. We're excited about uh, having him back. That's awesome. You know, I've talked to a lot of coaches this preseason. You know, something I'd like to bring up is, you know, what do you feel is the most important trait or attribute for the quarterback position? You talk to some of these coaches, they mention, you know, fourth quarter mentality, things in the clutch. A lot of coaches mention accuracy and, and, and being consistent and timing. What immediately comes to mind when you think about those necessary, stra- necessary traits or attributes for a standout quarterback at the collegiate level? Well, I think the number one attribute is leadership and making everybody around you better. And that's something that Skyler does. And that's just not on the offense, but on the defense and team collectively. He's the pulse of our football team. He's the guy that everybody goes to um, when we have to make a decision on some stuff. And, and he does. He makes the receivers better. He makes the line better, makes the uh, tight ends and running backs better. And, and his leadership is off the charts. And uh, he's been here a while. He knows us as coaches really well. And so I think he feels comfortable in that in that role as well. You know, another player I'm really excited about offensively is Deuce Vaughn, another guy that's graded really well according to PFF. Five foot five, 168 pounds. Not sure if he's added any weight this offseason, but he's a nightmare, a nightmare for opposing defenses in the open field. Do you expect Deuce to kind of continue to have a prominent role in the offense, both as a pass catcher and a runner? I know at Media Day you spoke to there, there's people, there are teams double teaming him at this point, trying to stop him. And what are you doing different this year to kind of find more unique ways to get him the football? Without a doubt, he's special, and uh, he's he's special with the ball in his hands. He's special off the field as well. He's one of our best leaders, uh, another one of our kids that guys look up to, but we're going to find different ways of getting the football. And what I mainly said at, at media day was the fact that 
he's so dynamic out of the backfield. And, and yeah, we whether we move him around, motion him out, or just run routes out of the backfield, he's really special there. But where he's underrated is as a pure running back. Uh, and, and I see it in practice every day. And we saw glimpses of it um, last year as well. With us having the ability to open things up and throw the football much better this year, uh, it's going to open more things up for him in the run game. And uh, he's going he's gonna to have to be a guy that's going to have, we hope, 15 to 25 touches uh, minimum per game. And there's going to be games where he could have more. Talk to me more about him off the field because I'm fascinated by him as a player. Obviously, being a smaller back, sometimes difficult to make a big name for yourself in college football, but he's done that and then some. You know, What's he like in the weight room, the film room? And I know he has a really good relationship with Skylar Thompson as well. Yeah, uh, he's put on some weight. You know, he's in that mid-70s now uh, and uh, very strong, great, great vision, great lower body. Uh, but guys just gravitate to him. If he's in the locker room, he's holding court and people are coming over. It doesn't matter if you're a freshman or if you're a senior. He's got the ultimate respect of, of our fourth and fifth-year senior guys. And this is a kid that's a, a true sophomore uh, that has that ultimate respect. And it's how he conducts himself off the field. He's a great student. He's very active in our community. If there's something we're doing in our community, he's the first guy to volunteer. Uh, he's around the offices. He, he comes in and visits with coaches and stuff. And he just always has a smile on his face, and he's got great energy. Man, that's fantastic. Receiving core, Malik Knowles, Philip Brooks, I know you're expecting big things from them this upcoming year. Brooks already a fantastic returner for Kansas State. You know, where specifically does their game have to improve you know, to help Thompson and also help you know, take some pressure or attention away from Deuce? Well, Malik's got to be healthy for us. He wasn't healthy uh, for a good chunk of last year, and he finally got healthy the last few weeks of the season and had a couple of really big games against Baylor and Texas. And we need to make sure he stays healthy. He's put some weight on. He's put some strength on. Um, his durability is going to be key for us. Uh, Phillip, we have to find more ways to get the ball to in the, in the, in the pass game. Uh, he's an exceptional returner, but he's getting so much better as a route runner and understanding concepts. But we have to find ways to take pressure off of those guys, too, whether it's Sebastian Taylor, uh, whether it's Cade Warner, um, different kids that, that, that have a role that um, we think can really be expanded this year so that we can spread the ball around. We talked so much on offense, but I know you're a former defensive backs coach. I'd love to hear, you know, you must be thrilled to have Eco Boyado returning for, after what was honestly a breakout campaign for him. You also have some other standouts on this team in the defensive backfield, Julius Brents, Justin Gardner. What are your expectations for this group in 2021? Well, we have to be much better than we were in 2020. That was an area that we struggled in the secondary, and part of it was a revolving door. We had kids in and out of the lineup the entire season and didn't practice, and that's, that is what it is. But we've got to be better back there. We've added some transfers. Uh, you mentioned Julius Brents, who is a 6'3", 205-pound corner, which you need to have in this league. Um, Rush East, who started, I think, 33 games at Louisville, will give us some great depth there as well. Uh, Echoes uh, really came into his own last season. Justin Gardner did. Uh, we have a kid back that played a couple games that we thought really highly of in TJ Smith that was lost for the year for the AC, from an ACL early in the season. He's back. So we have more depth back there in the secondary. But bottom line, we have to tackle better and we have to eliminate explosive plays. You know, I'm going to kind of hit on the same question I asked with quarterbacks, especially because you have so much experience. You know, we, you are a former defensive back and have coached defensive backs for a long time. What do you feel are kind of these uncoachable necessities for top flight corners, whether that's athleticism, size and those things? And then where do you think every single cornerback can improve or develop the most with the right system, or with the right coaching? Well, confidence is the one thing that they have to have because it's not going to be a great play every play for those guys. And they've got to be <laughs> able to have a short-term memory. Uh, but they have to be very physical. They have to be uh, extremely good tacklers. 
and the ball's going to go up in the air. <laughs> and so you have to be able to make plays on what everybody calls those 50-50 balls. And, and for us in the secondary, they need to be 80-20 balls. They need to be us for 80 of it, and a kid may make a great play on you. But uh, uh, we've got to win those battles, and, and that's something that we've increased the competition with, with recruiting, but we've also increased the competition at practice doing some of those uh, you know, deep ball or even intermediate passes where it's, it's uh, mano a mano and you've got to be able to make plays. Absolutely. I want to get a little bit more high level with some of these questions here. Obviously, you know, vaccination is something that's being talked about a ton, both at the collegiate level and the NFL level. How are you approaching that as a whole vaccination rates and those things with your team? And can you speak to just the success you've had and, and the communication that you've had so far? Yeah, we made a big push uh, once we got to about April. Most of us as coaches were able to get the, the vaccine in either late March or early April. And then uh, once spring ball ended, we started really pushing our players to it. They were able to get it at that time. Uh, I think we're at about 80% right now. So we're in a good position, uh, but we also know that there's 20% of our guys that haven't had it and we can't mandate. We're not going to mandate it, but we still need to make sure that uh, um, we're well aware that, you know, we're a positive test away from having a little bit of an outbreak and, and we have to still educate our guys. Um, you know, there's going to be some times, who knows, are, are they going to put masks back in indoors for meetings and stuff? I'm not sure what will happen, but our doctors, our medical staff here has done a phenomenal job of educating the guys. Uh, and, you know, each week we seem to trickle a few more guys in that, uh, that do get vaccinated. But um, we're, we sit in a good place, but I know we can always be better. Gotcha. And last one for you, Coach. Obviously, you know, the new NIL rules in college football are changing nearly everything about the game. You see, you know, that number one quarterback prospect could potentially, you know, leaving high school early to join Ohio State with the NIL rules in place. What has been your you know, biggest reaction at Kansas State to that implementation? How do you really how do you feel this is really going to impact college football over the next two, three, four years? Well, it's going to have a huge impact without a doubt. And, and we're doing well at Kansas State. I'm excited that they were able to put NIL in there for the, for the guys and gals because they deserve the opportunity to make some money. And uh, a, a city like Manhattan is a great example because uh, you live in Manhattan you're, and you're a K-State athlete. Man, you're, you've got a lot of things. You're, you're pretty much royalty around here. And so you've got <laughs> opportunities. Um, and, and I've seen it with our own guys. We've had a few guys that have that have had some uh, opportunities to make some money and then they take some some of their buddies out to eat or something. So um, I think it's gotta be a shared uh, situation. Um, I'll be interested to see over a, over the next year how it does transform or, you know, can we avoid missing meeting times and practices because of things going on? Can we avoid, uh, you know, I, I'm not a big, I don't agree on the guys that are making seven figures on it. I don't think that was the intended purpose for this. Mm -hmm. Help facilitate, get some money for guys, um, and maybe there are some deals that can be um, pretty lucrative for kids. Uh, but um, it's a lot to manage for an 18 to 22 or 23 year old, and so I'm all for it. I think they deserve the opportunity to get some money, and let's see how this year plays out. 100%. Couldn't agree with you more, Coach. Really appreciate the time, and I wish you the best of luck this season. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Now joining the 2-4 Drafts podcast is current Troy linebacker Carlton Marshall, a no-star recruit in 2017, goes to, you know, walks on at Troy, was uh, obviously had an uber successful season with Troy early in your career there. I think you were named, what, true freshman, uh, Sunbelt Player of the Year, now entering this upcoming season. You recently graduated. Congratulations on graduation, graduating. And also the Sunbelt Preseason Defensive Player of the Year. Carlton, great to have you on the show. 
Yes, sir. It was wonderful you having me. Thank you. Where I'd like to start, man, is honestly, let's let's turn back the clocks a little bit and think about or, or talk about what positions you played in high school. I know you played in the high school in Alabama. I think it was McGill Toolin High School. What positions did you play? And then what all kind of led to you walking on at Troy while you made that decision? I think that high school is what? Roughly a three-hour drive away from where you're from. I'm interested to hear kind of what positions and what you did in high school and then what all led to you walking on at Troy. No, uh, freshman year, I came in as a running back. But when they get, the game got kind of close, they would let me uh, switch sides, play both sides, you know, play linebacker. You get a little taste of that. But yeah, sophomore year, my coaches gave me a decision. You have to choose one side of the ball, offense or defense. And it took me a few days, but I told coach, hey, defense it is for me. So how, how that came about after my high school career, I looked at it as, yeah, I had offers such as North Alabama, Valdosta State, West Florida, you know, the smaller D2 schools. And I just felt that me personally, after my high school career, I deserved a bigger shot. So with a long talk with my parents, right the night before signing day, they said, you know, we'll, we'll back you anything. We'll back you with anything you do. So I walked on to Troy. And it's been history since then. Yeah. I, I mean, you earned your scholarship at Troy in August 2018. Talk me through that experience before, obviously, walking on at Troy and all, all that had to go through there. I know you obviously had to work your ass off to get to the point you were. And then I know there's a video of it on YouTube somewhere, but that moment when you were finally offered the scholarship at Troy, walk me through that process and obviously that that final moment there. Well, you know, uh, when I first got there, of course, you know, it's going to be hard for a walk on. You got to go through all, all every little uh, detail. You got to make sure everything is on point because you're a walk-on and that many more eyes are on you, just waiting for you to, you know, mess up or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So going into that year, I looked at it as, okay, I have to do some self-reflecting because I'm coming from McGill, my high school career, being the top dog at my school to being the bottom of the totem pole. So, you know, working, I really had to do that just day in and day out. Everything was stressful. I even contemplated on deciding if I should still play football or not. So having that discussion with my parents, you know, they gave me the best advice anyone's ever gave me when it comes to the sport. You know, why did you start the sport? That's what they asked me. Why did you start the sport? What made you love football? And after I got that question out of the way, I knew I mean, this was for me. So yeah, it was just a hard road, but you know, getting that scholarship, that moment was just big. I felt like all my hard work has paid off, but I knew it wasn't over from there. I still have to, you know, show, well, prove myself to the team as well as my coaches. Yeah, I mean, I think in addition to obviously, you know, the walk-on hurdle that presents itself. I mean, I'd be interested to hear more about how you specifically, you know, overcome what is a size disadvantage. You know, what what five foot ten, two ten. You know, there are you know, a lot of people. I'm sure, and you're even before you walked on at Troy, has mentioned things like too small, too small, not big enough. And I'm interested to know like what you you what how you've overcome that size disadvantage I guess what other things do you address or attack to kind of make up for it? is it film study is it weight room is it these different things I'm interested to know kind of how you attack that or prioritize kind of overcoming that size disparity you know um everyone like you said everyone talks about my size oh no he's too small but what I what I make what I <laughs> what I lack in height and weight I make up with speed quickness and twitch as well as aggressiveness, you know, film study helps me a lot, helps me to recognize plays earlier. And reading my keys, that's really the big part of it. But really just the quick twitch, the aggressiveness at the point of attack, I feel like that really what, that really, that's really what helps me out. 
Yeah, speed, quick twitch, that all shows up on tape. And I'm sure, you know, sometimes maybe it doesn't show up on tape, but I'm sure as a part of your process is a very deep, rich preparation schedule. Walk me through, you know, how much film you're watching and what specifically you're looking for when you're watching an opponent or even, you know, turning back the film on yourself in a given game week. What specifically do you look for? And I guess, how much do you prioritize, you know, the film room? Oh, the film room's first priority. You know, the first thing I watch is the O-line. I watch who, I figure out who's their best. O-linemen, their favorite pass set tackles, as well as, you know, play recognition, the guards, how far are they back? Like, what foot is up? Like, just little stuff like that, you know. Those things can really help you out on the field. You know, I have one specific time that pops in my head. It was uh, Arkansas State, I believe, two years ago. Every every time they motioned a player to the boundary, they would always throw a quick slant. And it was like, it was third and five. So I kind of read that and intercepted the ball. So yeah, that film study, plays a huge part and a huge role in what I do out there on the field. Gotcha. I, I had to imagine that. I'd be interested to hear, too, um, kind of what your goals are for this season. I know you mentioned uh, at Media Day that you want to be more of a vocal leader. How, how, how has that gone for you so far this offseason? And I guess, why do you feel it's so important that you do step up in that regard and be that vocal leader for the defense at, there at Troy? You know, uh, these past years, we were wondering what was the big problem? You know, why are we, we have the talent, we have everything, everything is together. It was just that one, one factor, that one leader that this team needed, you know, that one guy that's not afraid to, you know, rub some people the wrong way, you know, go out there and just jump on somebody and, you know, get everybody going. You know, that that's really what this team needed. And I felt like that's what I had to be for this team to be successful. And my coaches say, they uh, see me getting better and progressing as the as the summer has ended now. It's about to go into fall camp. So they said they're really proud of me and they're really they're um <coughs> I'm sorry. Sorry. All good. Yeah. They're really proud of me and they see me uh growing, but you know, it doesn't stop here. Last thing for you, I really appreciate the time, Carlton. Obviously, winning the Sun Belt is high on your list, but do you have any other specific goals for yourself this season, specific stats, specific accolades, awards? Is there something that at the end of this year you want to have specifically for you? you know, specifically for me, you know, um, you know, just to lead the nation in tackles once again. The Burlesworth Trophy, that's how on my list because knowing that I became a walk-on, that's just a, I want to say a special fraternity that, you know, walk-ons, you know, that special place in my heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Bendicart, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Risky, <laughs> all of that. Yes, sir. I would love to love to have those. But like you said, definitely the sum, one of the Sunbelt Championship is a uh, first on my priority list. This has been fantastic, Carlton. I really appreciate the time, and I wish you the best of luck moving forward. Oh, thank you. No problem. Now joining the Two for One Drafts podcast is current TCU defensive back Noah Daniels. I should say cornerback, one of the top cornerbacks ent- expected to enter the 2022 NFL Draft. It's great to have you on the show, man. Yeah, thank you, and it's an honor to be here. We're going to turn, turn back the clock a little bit. Former three-star recruit, number 10 corner coming out of Texas. I think you originally committed to Baylor, then flipped your commitment yeah. to TCU. Talk to me about that decision. Why did you originally commit to Baylor, and then why did you ultimately end up you know, playing for the Horned Frogs? Uh, really throughout the whole process, my whole, my whole mind frame was kind of in that three to five hour range mm-hmm. anyways from home. And, uh, Baylor offered me first at the time. So I committed to Baylor, but then, uh, I went to TCU camp and then, but TCU stayed in contact with me before I even committed to Baylor. So it's not like, you know, they mm-hmm. just got out of nowhere. They've been interested in me. I just never got offered till later. But gotcha. when they hit off me, it was just, I flipped instantly. 
Mm-hmm. So I knew that that's really where I wanted to go truly. And I, I like I like the proximity from home really. I like uh, the fact that Coach Patterson does what he does and is able to produce and develop how he does. So I just I just thought it was the best fit for me, honestly. Yeah, Patterson is a guy that you know we at PFF are also really high on. Yeah, three-star recruit, still had a lot of offers from Blue Blood programs, Missouri, Notre Dame, Oklahoma. And then in your time here at TCU, you've only, you know, looking at you know what you've played, 353 defensive snaps played in your collegiate career, obviously missed 2019 due to injury. And then the COVID-abbreviated season, you also had another injury in 2020. I think everyone's asking, this kid, when healthy, is a freaking monster. But how healthy are you right now? And how are you kind of shifting your mindset or shifting your – Practice schedule shifting how you're approaching the weight room to stay healthy entering 2021. Right now, I'm at, I just actually went to the doctor. Uh, they sent me to the doctor two, two days ago, I want to say. Mm-hmm. And uh, based on his evaluation, he predicts in four weeks, my, uh, my right knee with my surgery knee mm-hmm. would be just like the left one. So basically 100%. No, he, he, said, in four, he said in four weeks, it would be 98%. Gotcha. And he said, he said, in about four weeks from then, I should be 100% healed. But uh, as far as, like, competition-wise, they've been holding me out of some stuff, but I've been going against live reps. I've been I – don't, I don't really do anything different than the other team with running, lifting, anything else. Gotcha. And so for that, for that right knee, what was that injury specifically? Uh, it was ACL specifically. It was, it was isolated ACL. Gotcha. Awesome. Um, well, that's good that you're going to be 98% healthy in four weeks, and then obviously four weeks from that, 100% healthy. Do you expect to then start the season out of the gate, week one, ready to rock and roll? Yeah, he told me, I asked, me, asked him that question. He, I said, do you think I'll be ready for game one? He said, most definitely for game one. Like, oh, hell yeah, dude. Doctors got our backs here. No, Daniel's playing week yeah. one for TCU, man. That's that's awesome yeah. to hear. Yeah, so, I'm, I'm lucky. I'm lucky being up here in Fort Worth with, with Dr. Singleton. I had having one of the best doctors in the area it, it helps in being in the metric place but yeah that, that's it, awesome to hear man and, and so yeah. i know i know you added a nutritionist recently helping you put on weight and also another way you're prioritizing trying to stay healthy how has that process been what foods have you had to cut out and uh and, and so forth it's really more so i cut out junk food but it wasn't really more so i wasn't really eating enough or enough of the right stuff i guess and it was just like i couldn't maintain the constant weight so uh, my nutritionist, I got I got with a nutritionist, got the uh, the high calorie shakes, you know, I drink at the workouts, and uh, I told her like sometimes sometimes I can't eat in the mornings, so like sometimes I don't eat breakfast. We got the uh, shakes, so now I drink the shakes in the morning, which like replaced the calories. It's like we we could like she suits well to like a thousand calories you need to, but like oh wow, you know, yeah, like she like it's however many she whatever weight I'm trying to stay at, and right now it's about 193, 194. And right now I'm about 191.5, 192-ish. Oh, okay. But, but so it's been working, but it had, it really started when I had dropped to 188. And I, I'm like, yeah, I'm not 180. <laughs> so right when, I, right when that happened, they got me with nutritionist. And then ever since then, I've been able to maintain and keep that weight. That's awesome. And so you plan to play this season at what, 193, 194? Yeah. Gotcha. And, and are you approaching the weight room differently? Or are you doing anything different in the weight room or in the rehabilitation process yeah, yeah. to try and keep I, things going? I, yeah, I do everything they do. And then in between sets, like, because we work out in sets of three, but my workout group has two. So 
after so we'll go one set two set i have a whole free set to do nothing so i use that set to do a lot of single leg quad stuff a lot of things that you need for acl uh i do a lot of hamstring stuff uh stuff to help with breaking which because you know with the acl it's to repair it's repaired with your patella tendon so i do a lot of you know, uh, single leg stuff, break gotcha. stuff. I do a lot of rehab stuff in rehab after, after I just went to rehab. I do a lot of rehab stuff in workouts. So yeah. I, that's probably my best to, to, to make sure it's going to be, it's going to be ready. Makes a ton of sense, man. Cause honestly, you answer that health, you stay healthy for a full season. I think a lot more people than just PFF are going to be all over you, my friend, heading into the draft. I think now I want to focus a little bit on TCU. I think TCU over the past few years has been super underrated in terms of the type of talent they've been able to push in the secondary. Gladney, Merrick, Darius Washington, so much talent coming out of TCU recently. How has that experience been, you know, working with those guys, you know, specifically Merrick and our Darius Washington this past year? And uh, how much have you learned from playing under those underclassmen? I mean, it was cool because I got to watch them grow. Like, I watched them from when they first came in and didn't know nothing, didn't, didn't know a thing to what they are now. You know, <laughs> some of the best safeties that was in the previous draft class. So it was honestly cool. Like, I, I've been here, like, five. I've been here for – I'm a senior, so mm-hmm. I, it's, it's cool watching young guys, especially when they get an opportunity at the next level. Uh, especially when they're in the secondary with me and I've played and communicated with them and, and trade and train ideas actually plus friends of mine so that makes it even more better. So it was it was it was uh, it was great seeing them seeing them get picked up. But and, it was, and that- it was, on on the field on the field it was it was a lot easier too because I, I play I play the, the boundary a lot due to, just due to my physical you know yeah. I'm more on it. So uh, and then uh, AD played we safety, which is so we communicated a lot. So and we had great communication. So it, it helped. And that cornerback room is loaded this year. You got the transfer from Memphis, TJ Carter, obviously Hodges, Tomlinson. Talk to me about your relationship with those guys and and how that's been. Obviously working with them this off season. Uh, TJ has been working more with the safeties, but as far as the other ones, we've been we've been we've been working. We've gotcha. Been working. That's good, man. That's great. Uh, I know another guy, Quentin Johnson, 2024 star recruit on the receiver side, breakout candidate. How does he look? Uh, I don't want to sound biased, so I'm gonna say, <laughs> so I'm gonna say, in two years, but I think next year he's gonna be the best receiver in the Big Twelve. Oh, wow, man. That is Artist. high praise. That's sweet. I know a lot of people are high on him, too, PFF included. Yeah, um, yeah. Honestly, I, honestly, I, 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 I've guarded him. I, I can truly say, like, I see him in praise every day. I can truly say, he, yeah, he's 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 one of the best up-and-coming receivers. Dude, like, that's sweet. Like, high praise. Yeah. yeah that's, Absolutely. That's, and and me, and, me and Quentin are friends, but we're, he, we're not just close friends. Like we haven't got a chance to develop that relationship yet. He's young, but I'm sure we will. So, but I'm not. So I'm not being biased. I'm being honest. That that dude's nice, man. <laughs> That's that awesome, man. Um, last question for you, and I really appreciate the time. That's great to hear on Quentin Johnson too. I, I guess set expectations for yourself for this upcoming year. Obviously, you want to be healthy. Obviously, you want to be you know, one of the best defensive backs in the Big Twelve, but. Given, you know, barring that you do have a healthy season, what does an ideal season or your highest expectations look like for Noah Daniels in 2021? Uh, individually or? Yeah, individually, individually. 
I mean, I don't really like getting the individual, but I feel like my expectation is really to dominate every snap. Like I want, I want to go every game walking off the field knowing I didn't let up anything. Like, mm-hmm. and that's because I know I want I want to do my one eleven basically. Like my job on the defense. Like I don't want I don't want the reason we lose to be because of me. I don't want the reason you know my teammates you know are down and lost because of me. I want to I want to be able to step on the field and put my best foot forward every play because as I learned from these injuries, it can it can end any play, you know. So mm-hmm. that's just that's my goal. My goal is to just attack every single rep. Like it's just my last and just to dominate. That's don't fantastic, down, man. Don't back down to anyone. And just maintain that confidence that I know I have the ability to that I just unfortunately with the injuries haven't had a chance to show the world. Well, I'm really excited to see it, man. I think uh, healthy healthy Noah Daniels, everyone in college football should want to see that. This has been fantastic, and I wish you the best of luck this year. Thank you.